Hi gang, Morgan and Isabel here to share. We are looking for a new member for the WOE team to help us edit and cut episodes. If somebody you know, or you yourself, has experience with editing podcasts or even music and is interested in adding us to your portfolio, please reach out. Email womansmail at gmail.com with the subject line editor pretty basic understanding of sound editing software is a good starting point. Yeah, we want this to be mutually beneficial, meaning we'll be able to offer some compensation for your time and are open to supporting any creative goals you have and see how we can work together. Again, email womance, that's W-H-O-A-M-A-N-C-E, mail at gmail.com with the subject line editor. Mail as in mail a letter, not mail as in mister. (laughs) (laughs) Looking forward to hearing from you. I'm Morgan. And I'm Isabeau. And this is Romance. A podcast about romance novels. About gyros. <laughs> about cities split by rivers. About crown molding that gives the illusion of leaving both time and reality behind. About public sex. About trust. About the ways in which romance uh, is coming on multimedia platforms. But mostly it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And ourselves. This week, we are really excited to be discussing social media sensation, free on Spotify, Neon Gods, by Katie Robert, singular, Katie Robert. It is my distinct pleasure to get to read the back of the book. Me, Morgan. All right, listen up. He was supposed to be a myth, but from the moment I crossed the river Styx and fell under his dark spell, he was, quite simply, mine. Society darling, Persephone Dimitriou, plans to flee the ultra-modern city of Olympus and start over far from the backstabbing politics of the 13 houses. But all that's ripped away when her mother ambushes her with an engagement to Zeus, the dangerous power behind their glittering city's facade. With no options left, Persephone flees to the forbidden undercity and makes a devil's bargain with a man she once believed a myth, a man who awakens her to a world she never knew existed. Hades has spent his life in the shadows, and he has no intention of stepping into the light. But when he finds that Persephone can offer a little slice of the revenge he's spent years craving, it's all the excuse he needs to help her for a price. Yet every breathless night spent tangled together has given Hades a taste for Persephone, and he'll go to war with Olympus itself to keep her close. A modern retelling of Hades and Persephone, in case you hadn't already figured that out, that's as sinful as it is sweet. I'm really excited I got to read the back of the book because I can pronounce the last name Demetriou thanks to one of my favorite comedy families, the Demetriou's. Also, we all know you can pronounce it, so. I mean, (laughs) it's true. What's uh, it's funny that you you say you can pronounce it. For a really long time, I had never heard Persephone pronounced. I'd only ever read it, and so Persephone, Persephone, <laughs> until I was fourteen. Yeah, same. And then I heard it, and I was like, Persephone's way prettier than Persephone. I know. So, where where should we start? I think we should start with our hero. 
and heroine are our main characters, Persephone and Hades. Ever heard of them? (laughs) And maybe some unexpected differences. Between like the canonical myth and this text yeah or any other versions uh up until this particular one laura olympus is very popular which is also persephone and hades retelling that i felt like this book was very informed by there's that really popular silly symphonies goddess of spring that's based on this and in uh percy jackson and the olympians persephone is famously played by rosario dawson and hades is played by that comedian who's british and weird and goes on all those dinner movies those travel god alan partridge Steve Coogan. Yes. <laughs> Steve Coogan plays Hades. Huh? Yeah, and is married to Rosario Dawson in sure, that telling. Sure, sure. King of Queens, I'm young, huh? <laughs> right. So I'd like to kind of talk about, like, this is a popular dynamic. Hades and Persephone is obviously a proto-Beauty and the Beast story as well. And I think, like, it captures the popular imagination in a particular way. And I want to talk about what is maybe working and not working as well in this particular telling, if that's cool with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, it's definitely, like, the dynamic that's popular. The dynamic being, like, dark, brooding figure kidnaps effervescent embodiment of springtime young and fresh and tricks her or forces her into a marriage and I guess creates the seasons but I I think like this particular text like it's much more of a beauty in the beast story I think than it is like a Persephone and Hades myth this is very much like Greek mythology in name alone it's like a contemporary romance with the faintest blush of fantasy and then a bunch of Greek myth names tacked on yeah, I would say that I it, it's the whiff, it's the taste, it's like the sweet vermouth you put in a drink. Like you don't want too much of it and this book certainly does not want too much of it. Some of us would like a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I think that's correct. But one of the things that I think this Hades shares with many contemporary Hades is that he's like a cinnamon bun at heart. Contempo Hades. You know, he is indeed the lord of the underworld. Here it's the undercity, whatever that Uh, fuck that means in this story which is conceptually cool but never ever explored it's just the other side of a river right it's never really worked out i actually have a lot of questions about the world building which i want to get to but you know he's kind of a cinnamon bun mafioso right he like runs the underworld but he loves puppies and he has all these people that he really needs to take care of that aren't family but like function like family oh shit this is a hundred percent like a mafia romance totally it's yeah it's like not a billionaire romance but like what is billionaire adjacent a mafia guy isn't that weird that like mafia romance is a thing yes it is a thing and it is super fucking weird anyway Hades, he functions like that. He's not, you know. He's a boss. Exactly. He's a Don. And so like the the functionality of that, like the cars get pulled up and people work for him. Everyone's really loyal. Loyalty is the premium and the currency. But he takes care of what's his. Zeus is, of course, not his brother in this telling. But I loved how shitty Zeus was and that everybody knew it. Like Zeus is casually accused of killing a number of Heras. It's never explained how he 
does that though like does he actually like murder them with his own hands or is he just like disposing of them I don't know and like also that language feels very mafia Zeus can't be bothered to get his hands (laughs) dirty but he definitely wants younger and younger wives but maybe he is getting his hands dirty like it's never clarified in the text yeah this text is unambiguously anti-Zeus which is fine but I'll tell you what I never questioned it (laughs) in that much depth until this moment until we were talking about it and I think this is one of those books that like people talk about but they're like ooh, because it's like super steamy right it's it's borderline erotica the number of sex scenes to regular scenes in this book it's pretty weighty in terms of sex scenes and on book talk people are always like I loved it it was so steamy but no one ever goes into any detail and so I think people aren't really like picking this apart too much and I think it's the kind of text that like in normal day-to-day conversation doesn't encourage that I mean I think that's true for like romance in general people don't parse it but like people go into way more detail about like Danny Brown than they do neon gods and so you know maybe it doesn't matter but I'm going to point out that it's never clarified how Zeus's wives are dying I think it does matter and I think because this book is very currently popular and being talked about a lot and that has made a deal with Spotify which I think is really cool and I and I'm curious if it's if this will change so the author actually addressed this her Mm -hmm. publishers have a deal with spotify and she does get paid she gets like a cut i'm sure it's like as minuscule as every musical artist gets from plays on spotify but and i'm curious about what this will mean for books on spotify as like sort of an answer to amazon's audible which has been coming out with romance originals for a while um rose lerner has an audible original uh friend of the pod the wife in the attic if you haven't checked it out yet please do so and so I'm curious about how this will operate for the genre in general but I also think that like when I was listening to it there were over 12,000 listens on you know one of the chapters and I was like so it's you know people are listening to it but you know having those metrics available publicly is something audible would never do Ever. Like 12,000, it sounds like a lot, but then it's not really a lot. Like there are podcasts that get 5 million listens per episode. Totally. And like this is also another question because it's not like romance is new to the listening experience. And Melanie Johnson turned us on to Laura Kinsale, who was an early adopter of romance as audio and worked with a very particular excellent audio voice actor who I can't remember his name. And one of the problems that I had with this text was the British guy doing the voice of Hades. Mm. I hated him. Like, unambiguously. I think I would have liked this book more if I'd actually just gone and read it. Oh, my God. Yeah, same. Like, I think it's like first taste is always free, but it also is probably cut with some comet. (laughs) Like, I have a a new friend at work and she's super into romance novel especially steamy romance novels on audiobook and I told her I was like I'm having the hardest time with this because I've personally never done it I know you regularly listen to our texts on audiobooks so you're much more of an expert than me but like I was listening to it and I was like when the woman narrator does the Hades dialogue she sounds like a Victorian ghost and when the male narrator does Persephone's dialogue, he sounds like he's just mocking all women. Like he sounds like Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. Oh my God. Exactly. <laughs> Ooh, I want to feel you come inside me, Hades. It it's the fucking worst. 
I felt so personally insulted on behalf of an entire gender. I was like, um, why do you hate women? I was shockingly bad. And I was like chopping an onion for dinner. And Brandon was in the kitchen with me. And I was listening to this super erotic scene. And he couldn't quit like doing little impressions of what they said right after they said it. And I was like, I really need you to stop because I need to take this seriously for my show. And it's also like making my stomach go into my throat every time you do it but it's true it's us like the Hades voice is like Persephone I'm your wet pussy they also say like all emphasis on the poo in <laughs> which is the worst and syllable which is like I wish they had said I guess the alternative would be pussy if that's <laughs> or like they're British, so the British version of cunt doesn't sound so mean and harsh. It's like a lovely word in British English. I know, absolutely. If you have um, people with an English accent reading, or any kind of Britannia accent reading your book, just go ahead and have them substitute out the C word for the P word. Yeah. Because it, pussy is like Terrible. really hard. No. And <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad. But nevertheless, I did get captivated. I did get, but I'm like fucking gullible. Like, of course I was captivated and like interested in it. Was I turned on? Sometimes, yeah. I got, I got past the <laughs> weird voices. Sometimes despite myself. And I think like that's both the strength of the writing and the corporealness. Despite myself or despite that goofy fucking voice both because like once you like swallow down the wretch in your throat as he says pussy you're just like okay now I'm over wanting to revile this and now I can be into it because I've like I've gotten past the gag reflex I'm like now we're here for it I was desensitized yeah the other thing that struck me is that when the woman narrator was doing Persephone dialogue out loud during the sexy times like I think she was trying to sound like breathless But she ended up sounding like a strained child, like a whiny teen. Like, doobie! It was, like, awful. It's not great. It's not great. But I do think, like, part of the reason the publishing company has this deal with Spotify is that concept of, like, first taste is always free, right? Now you're going to, like, introduce a bunch of people, right? And, of course, it got picked up on TikTok. And then Katie Robert came out and, like, did, like, an explanation of, like, yeah, no, this isn't ripping me off. You guys can listen to it. I did check. (laughs) <laughs> no, and that's worth it because one of the things that she did when this book immediately started becoming really popular is that people were pirating it. And she's like, hey, turns out if you pirate my books, I won't be able to write more because this is my living. Oh, I didn't know people were pirating. I didn't know. I guess I knew you could pirate a book, but I didn't know it became a problem with Neon Gods. And I'll tell you why. Children are reading it. That's what that tells me. Is that what that tells you? That tells me, yeah. Because, like, a kid wouldn't ask their mom for money to buy erotica. That's true. But an adult could spin the f- whatever. How much is this book on Amazon? I'm I think gonna it's look even it up. on Amazon Unlimited. Like, you have to want to pirate this thing right now. First of all, at the age of 30, I can't even, like, tell you how to pirate a TV show anymore effectively. But I used to do it all the time. Yeah, it's eight bucks on Amazon. It's free on Spotify. Like you have to really want people to, you have to really not want to spend any money or have any like trackable use of the text. Private investigator Morgan thinks that that means youngsters are consuming this book. In droves. 
That and the fact that it's on TikTok all the time. Although that is my algorithm, but. Interesting. And it is steamy. It is. It is not a sweet book. The sex is quite corporeal. Although I will say, because I feel like you and I have been reading quite a few steamy books, other than the public nature of the sex and like the voyeurism aspect of it, all of their sex is like pretty prosaic considering. And so like when I, when everyone's like, this book is so intense and oh, the sex scenes, I was like, I was expecting like hot dog bun butt stuff. Any kind of butt stuff. I don't think we get any kind of like anal play, which. None. And I was like, for a steamy book, I feel like we should have at least a little. And it's a lot of um, fingering and it's a lot of oral. Yeah, which is great. I mean, very corporeal and steamy. There are a ton of those scenes. But all things considered, not the most erotic or steamy book we've read on the show. Well, he takes her to like his dungeon. It's like S&M dungeon, of course. And there's like a lot of like pretty serious stuff down there. Never gets used. No. (laughs) But like, it's nice that I guess the knowledge was dropped. But like, it was uh, whatever the equivalent of virtue signaling is in the BDSM world. I think the author was just kind of like, I know stuff about this, you know. Like, it felt like the text was trying to assure us that this was like a real deal BDSM book. Versus Fifty Shades of Grey. Right. Right. It not just it's not just like borrowing heavily from the Hades and Persephone myth. It's borrowing heavily from it's a very reactionary book to Fifty Shades of Grey. Reactionary is the exact right term because one of the problems with Fifty Shades of Grey <laughs> is that not only is it boring, like Anastasia's steel is terrible. That tampon stuff's pretty freaky though. You don't get anything that freaky in this book. You don't. Like, and I want to come back to that. But like, one of the big problems other than like the main character being super fucking boring is that the BDSM stuff is actually just abuse. And this book goes out of its way to talk about what consent looks like in a BDSM relationship, what it looks like in terms of relationships in general. Like consent is on every page where any sex act or really any act is happening to the point where it begins calling attention to itself, where suddenly it's like, I understand that this book is having a conversation, not with me about these characters, but with a larger project, which is like retconning BDSM for the romance genre. Yeah. But it does stuff like, it does like real one-to-one shit. Like there's an actual physical contract. I do appreciate the fact that they have a contract because they do have like a larger political project as like the backbone of their relationship. A little bit of the world building. Persephone's mother is the Demeter. So you, the 13 like Olympic gods are, I don't know if they're an elected or appointed position, but her mother has been appointed the Demeter and her mother has arranged a marriage to Zeus for her daughter to make her the Hera. That's just a figurehead position. It's like being vice president. Zeus has removed all the power from being the vice president. And she didn't know that her mom had done this. So there's this announcement and she like freaks out and she runs away to the lower city and discovers that Hades, who for a long time has been described as like a completely like a zero sum game, an Olympian who doesn't exist anymore. Like a literal myth. Yeah, exactly. A myth within a myth, right? The Zeus the Hades and the underwater one who always gets a bum rap Poseidon Poseidon they're all like lineage they're like monarchist and then the rest are like appointed or elected unclear I think appointed but then I think it's appointed yeah yeah, but then they say that his line died out it turns out his line didn't die out Zeus just tried to kill them off by burning their house down but Hades survived and that's how he got these scars as opposed to living in his dad's tummy for a long time. 
Titan, as the original myth mythology indicates. So she runs away. She discovers Hades is real. Hades sees the opportunity of a future of a would-be Hera in his possession as an as a way to get back at Zeus. And that is by publicly having sex with her. And she agrees because she's like, he will never marry me um, if he thinks that I've been ruined because of like purity culture run wild in the upper city. Which is like what I mean when I say this book doesn't have very much to do at all with Greek mythology because purity culture was not like, I mean like there is like this idea of like virgins being taken, but it's not like it was a particularly like neutered set of stories well no yeah greek myths are not neutered in that way but i would say that they're highly interested in female purity which seems to be about purity culture in general where it's like zeus can have all the sex that he wants and that's fine but as soon as anybody steps out of line you like terrible things happen to you like the fact that Medusa is Medusa, right? (laughs) And she was made because she was an acolyte of Artemis, the virgin goddess. Athena is also a virgin goddess. Medusa is raped on the steps of Artemis's palace and Artemis sees her and is like, you had sex, now I have to punish you, and turns her into a gorgon. And so that felt like that gesture where it's like, Part of the dichotomy between the upper city and the lower city is that the lower city is more honest. Hades is a benign mafioso bro, but he's also not sexually possessive. Whereas like Zeus is a hypocrite and an asshole, sexually possessive in a way that's really, really damaging, especially for women. And Hades doesn't operate in that way. I I understood that that purity thing was speaking both to that part of the mythology and also creating a dichotomy for Zeus and Hades. This episode is brought to you by Kensington's newest title from Kate Pierce, Sweet Talking Rancher. Kate Pierce is a New York Times and USA Today best-selling author known for her unconventional heroes and her joy of subverting romance cliches. Along with being a voracious reader, Kate loves trail riding Western style with her family. My family used to love trail riding also. I did not know that. Uh, Well, did you know that my first dream job was to be a veterinarian? But Mm. I left that behind when I found out you had to do math. But do you know who wasn't (laughs) deterred by math? Pierce's heroine, Faith. Oh. (laughs) Faith McDonald hadn't planned on returning home, but with her dad retiring, her help is needed at the family veterinary practice. She's hoping that by now folks have forgotten what happened between her and Danny even if the two of them never can. With a mystery infection decimating the Miller cattle, she and Danny soon find themselves on the same side for the first time in forever. There was a lot of trouble in their past, but the good parts never really flamed out, including their intense attraction, and their shared determination to cure the cattle might just lead them to a healing of their own and a whole new, all-grown-up future. This book and the Millers of Morgan Valley series sound like a great fit for anyone who has recently discovered Dr. Pole or Australian reality show farmer Once a Wife, aka me. It's a great second chance romance, contemporary Western vibes, hitting all of Isabeau's fave boxes. Plus, it takes place in Morgan Valley. (laughs) Our dressing is less popular. (laughs) If that sounds good to you, you can find Sweet Talking Rancher by Kate Pierce wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. Yeah. So that's what I mean when I say there's like a political underpinning to the contractual agreement. But it also includes things like 
safe words, which are pomegranate, because we did listen to an English person say it. Very on the nose for a safe word. The only kind of like BDSM though, like I don't think she gets tied up even. I don't think she gets blindfolded. Like not even like the like soft whispers <laughs> of bondage and domination are actually... But they do have sex publicly in front of other people. At one point, he like leaves her underwear around her knees and she calls it the lightest bondage. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, the the lightest light bondage. Technically correct, but like. (laughs) When I go to like pee, I'm like, here I am in the lightest bondage (laughs) bound. No, contact matters. But, like, it's like a lot of flash and bang for, like, pretty normal sex. I mean, like, but it's very erotic and it's, it's, it's intense in the description, yeah. right? Like, you spend a lot of time there. But it's not, like, like, don't be, I would say, like, if you're interested in reading, like, a more erotic romance, don't be scared off of this thinking that there's going to be, like, a lot of violence. But that's the thing. People make it sound like it's, like, the super BDSM thing. But it's not. And I will say, like, Hades, part of their, like, sex, I hate saying play. Games? Part of their s- sex activities. <laughs> part of their sexual relationship. Is, like, whenever there there's lots of dirty talk, which, if you didn't enjoy the narrators, was really hard. But uh, the people who were reading the book. But there's lots of sexy talk that is possessive and about belonging. And even in the back of the book, right, mine. <laughs> like, she is interested in being voluntarily possessed, which I think is 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 a nice recovery from Fifty Shades of Grey. I think so too, and I think like you hit the nail on the head when you say voluntarily, right? Persephone has a lot of agency, and she is much more dynamic than Anastasia Steele or Bella Swan. Yeah, she actually stops a whole sex act before it begins and Hades she doesn't specifically say she wants to but Hades reading her body language determines she's uncomfortable and he pulls the plug and he says I'm not comfortable moving forward which is a great reclamation and also like something I actually haven't I I know that there are plenty of times where the hero is hesitant but as soon as like the heroine verbalizes to him like yes let's move forward then they do move forward but like this was the first time I read something where a hero was like using the full context of a conversation with another human being right body language and and how they're reacting and actually did not have sex with the heroine no I love that part I, I I remember it specifically because she is saying yes verbally and she's saying no every other way yeah and for Hades to be like well you know like and she's like well isn't this a fantasy and she does the thing that I think many women this should sound familiar to where you're like socially conditioned to like ameliorate the situation and like want to make everybody comfortable and you don't want to let anybody (laughs) down and she's agreed to do this very public sex scene on a dais and like gets cold feet and she's like no I, I know you want to and he's like you are rigid as a board, which means that I will not enjoy this. So like, no, we're not going to do it. That's cool. Your enjoyment of this thing is my enjoyment of this thing as well. Like, I am interested in this, but only if you are. It's not fun if you're not. So we won't. Let's just cuddle. And that was great. A genuine, nice thing. But also, like, it didn't surprise me. One of the things about this book, and maybe Hades tellings post- 2005 Hades thinks he's a bad guy because like everybody like because he lives in the dark doesn't have flowers but like Hades is 
a cinnamon bun. He's just like a really good person and like just likes the dark a lot and happens to live there. The, all the ways that Hades showcased and participated in care of Persephone and in care of the Undercity always felt right. But then he does the thing where he's like, everybody expects me to be a monster. I am a monster. And I'm like, you've literally done nothing monstrous. You just gave that guy 50 bucks and like you're protecting the city from war. Why do you have this narrative? Yeah, there's this like externalized performativeness to like being a Hades. It's like this thing where we're always like, oh, I love like brooding bad boys. And it's like, do you or do you just like a project? Because that's the thing. Like (laughs) Hades is like, he's not, he's, he and Persephone in this book connect on the level of like, we're both being performative. Like me being like fresh, young, buoyant sunshine, Mm -hmm. that's performative. And for you being like dark and broody, is performative and at the end of the day we're just a couple of people who are equal parts these things aka normal aka boring and like there's this like real disinterest in the idea of death being like the central mover of the underworld right like it's reason to etra is like never explored like why is there an undercity why isn't it like that's never really excavated in the book and I think the fact that like Hades is part of a monarchy is used to like ameliorate or like lessen some of his responsibility for being on the dark side right like he didn't choose this life meanwhile like Zeus is likewise a victim of circumstance in a lot of ways and has become a bad person but that's like never explored or like never addressed in the same way Hades is because Hades isn't actually a bad person or even a particularly dark person or even a particularly interesting person. Yes. And I think this comes back to like incomplete world building wherein the Undercity is not the underworld. You don't cross the River Styx and the River Styx is bisecting Olympus, the city, but they aren't dead there. There isn't, and I think it was what you just said about like, there's no real interest in excavating like what death would be because I think that's also a really fascinating concept. Like I know Meet Joe Black is like a parodied film. I really love it. That should surprise nobody who listens to this podcast. But one of the things that I love about Meet Joe Black and that depiction of death is that death is an ingenue. He's dreamy. Yeah, I mean, he's very pretty. But like he doesn't know stuff because he's been isolated and like doesn't only talks to people who's who are dead, like hasn't experienced anything. So he like really loves peanut butter. And I think there's a lot to play with in terms of death, both as a responsibility, but like as a place of isolation that doesn't lead to brooding bad boy, but isolation that leads to like social awkwardness or a hesitancy. And that doesn't happen here. And that's fine. Well, Hades isn't like death. Like he doesn't come to collect souls. No. And this is very much a part of, it's not very much, but it is like trying to, like the starting text is Greek mythology. Yes. Where he's, you know, rules the afterlife, which is miserable for everybody. Well, I don't know if it's miserable for everybody, but it's def- there's no flowers. 
it's yeah it's miserable for most people in fact part of the creation myth of persephone is that when she gets to hell she's like oh nothing for people who are good and he's like no and she's like well let's create the elysian fields and so she creates the part of the underworld that's lovely that you get to go to if you've led some sort of virtuous life and persephone herself becomes the arbiter of virtue and punishment in the afterlife in many creation myths which is cool because that means that she's a co-regent yeah also to say like our current understanding of Greek mythology has actually been shaped by a lot of 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th century retellings of Greek mythology, right? Like Hawthorne rewrote the Parthenon, right? And included Persephone and Hades as like the central mover, right? Which is to say like we're talking about our collective understanding of Greek mythology in today's day and age as opposed to like an actual ancient Greek person's understanding of the afterlife. Regardless, I think in every iteration, like Hades is in charge of the afterlife. And that's what the underworld and the undercity is meant to be. But we don't get any sense that they're like, these people are dead. What if they were all skeletons? That would have been cool. They should have mentioned that. They should, like, if they were, they should have mentioned that. But, like, that's not how the city is functioning. It almost, like, it felt sort of like a Dickensian London. Yeah, yeah. But nice, because they have a benevolent ruler. As if the artful Dodger was a good person. It's a city. There are people there. They have been there for generations, and they're just, like, living out from under the yoke of Zeus's tyrannical upper city, which is beautiful, glittering, and corrupt. But, like, the world building is weird that way because, like, you have the River Styx, which is the river that gates the underworld, and it's hard to cross. Like, when Persephone is fleeing her arranged marriage to Zeus that her mother Demeter set up, she is running across this bridge, which she knows she's not supposed to cross, to get to the Undercity. And it's, like, it's... It's physically difficult, but it's also written as spiritually difficult. Like, it hurts her soul. So then it's like, okay, what is magical about this treaty? What's magical about this bridge? That's never really explored. The people in the Undercity aren't dead. They're not spirits. Also, the 13 aren't gods, but are they? Because, like... Hermes is flitting in and out of the Undercity all the time, but it's like maybe she gets there under her own steam. And like Dionysus is there. They drive cars. Yeah, why does Dionysus get to go there? I don't know. It's like part of the thing. Hermes makes sense with her job. Dionysus, I guess because he like doesn't care, but it actually seems like, and this is just my interpretation of Dionysus, would be that he's not really a go-getter. Right. (laughs) And like, so that's weird. But also the other thing that's so weird about this world building that I could not figure out. Like, let me say this. I wasn't tripped up by it in the reading, but anytime I stopped, I was tripped up by it. So it's like as soon as I caught up with myself Mm -hmm. or the book caught up with me, because like one of the things that Persephone wants to do is she wants to wait out her trust fund, which she comes into maturity at at 25. And so she needs to get it so that she can go to Berkeley, (laughs) the university. She specifically says Berkeley? She specifically says Berkeley at the beginning that she wants to go get her degree at Berkeley. And I was like, well, if you're going to go get your degree at Berkeley, where am I? Well, see, that's the thing. I don't really have a problem with the world building in this book because I don't think of it as a fantasy novel. I think of it as a romance novel that's borrowing on mythology to give you a shorthand. Man, if you can use something that everyone already has preconceived notions of, which in 
picking up Neon Gods, if you're an early adapter of Neon Gods, you're probably also on Webtoons reading Lord, Lore Olympus, right? So you get to bring all of that meaning and attachment. Like, it's it's pretty smart because you get to rely on the reader's, like, held understandings, connections, beliefs about the characters. But this is a romance novel. It's not a fantasy novel. So I feel like I can't fault it for coming up short on the world building because this isn't something that's, like, the central idea is world building. The central idea is a relationship between two people and in this text particularly like the sex is more important than the fact that it's greek mythology but trust fund rules apply (laughs) you know what i mean sure and persephone wants to get out yeah and i think it's a way of like kind of ducking the idea of writing like a classic billionaire or mob novel right which feels a little trite sure i think that's all true i also think that anybody who's reading this also has like a passing familiarity potentially or like grew up in the with the winking knowledge of percy and the olympians especially people younger than me people who seek out content that involves greek mythology are probably interested in greek mythology to some level right and i think as you say that this is indeed a shorthand and it's there are a lot of in jokes like he gets a dog and names it severus and then she names the other two uh charybdis and scylla which are the monsters that odysseus faces in the odyssey and so like that stuff is fun there's so much fun to be had which is why it felt like roman fan fiction of Greek gods rather than like a full-on novel and I think that is the trip for me there was a lot of interesting keys hit in terms of the world building but like the song never played it was just like the opening string and then that's like but you know the rest and I'm like well I don't know this version of the rest of it I don't know this cover listen we live in a post Marvel Cinematic Universe. We live in a post-Spaceballs world where fan service does not mean fan fiction, right? And you have to have special little in-jokes so that people can feel smart for chuckling. And everyone loves to feel smart. I mean, we have a fucking podcast. Like, everyone loves to feel smart. That's another, like, quick way to do it. And it's also probably, I imagine if you're writing something like this, like, you feel pretty clever when you're putting it in. Oh, totally. To me, fan service does not fan fiction make. But I do get, like, a little, like, (laughs) sometimes. But do you know what? Going, ugh. Also makes me feel smart. <laughs> it is its own peculiar pleasure. Yeah. yeah. So being like, Scylla, I know that one, <laughs> is just as satisfying as like, Scylla, I know that one. Yeah. Well, okay. What's your weirdest part? I have a couple. I have a couple. Should I do my serious weirdest part? Because I think we've like, the world building problem is my serious weirdest part but I have a silly weirdest part do you feel like you have said what you need to say about the world building problem or do you want to like like why do you let me ask you this Mm -hmm. why do you have beef because I'm able to be like or my tech coping mechanism that worked out pretty well is like oh well it's not really a fantasy novel like this is a book here to like titillate me in a different way sure that's true but But you did not have that experience. I didn't have that experience. And I think because I understand fantasy and romance to be really different. And I understand the tropes and the um, jargon that go along with each particular uh, genre. But I also like on this show, we have read really excellent Mm. world building stories. Strange Love by Anna Thank you. That world building was awesome. 
You know, so I don't think that they have to be mutually exclusive. And I think what this is, and I don't want to use the word lazy because I don't think that Katie Robert is a lazy author. I think she's prolific. So I don't want to say lazy. I want to say spread too thin. But there's something. That's what you just implied. I don't want to say spread. (laughs) I don't mean to imply it that way. Like what I'm like, what I'm saying is like. What I'm saying. Like, quit half-assing a bunch of things. No, because I don't think... <laughs> and whole-ass my world building. I think it's 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 a taste. And I, like, so that's my personal problem. Because I was really interested in the idea that the bridge is hard to cross. Because we spent so much time with the physical and emotional effort of crossing the bridge. So then when it didn't go anywhere, I was like, okay, but you, I spent a lot of time there. And then, like, the way that the, the mechanisms of who can get to the city and how how I need to know and like they're gods but they're not gods and they're a lot of questions were posed and very few of them were answered and then it was like here's a sex scene here's another sex scene here's a Greek immigrant who's been here for 10 generations gyro (laughs) (laughs) so I think my beef with it is that I liked the setup I thought it was going in an interesting place. And then it was like, you know, a bridge to nowhere. And it felt, I felt um, deflated. Here's, here's, okay. Actually, you know what? I do have a problem with, like, I'm able to be like, oh, this is a romance novel. (laughs) That doesn't matter that much. But can we talk about the, like, racializing background characters that happens throughout this book? So I'm thinking of a specific instance when Hades is taking her on a tour of the underworld and she notices an elderly latina woman that's how it's stated who's just like walking around living her life right Mm -hmm. but she gets racialized and i'm like that's not doing what you think it's doing (laughs) first of all the term latina is super freighted with more than like the meaning of like someone of that racial identity right like that term itself has a lot of meaning that is important to us. Absolutely. But once again, like, I don't know where we are. I guess we're in a world with Berkeley, so it matters. But even if I'm like, okay, so like, they have like the same history and emotional relationship with race that we do. That's not fucking representation. Like, you can't just mention an old lady in the background is a Latina and be like, some little girl, some little girl who's a Latina is reading the book and she's like, wow, I too can be a background character in an erotic romance novel. Like what is your, what is the end game there? And also like pointing out that the cook is white, pointing out that like. And then pointing out that the dressmaker is a very beautiful black woman who used to be a model and like has enough melanin that you never know how old they are. Whoa. And I was like. Yeah. It's like, what is this? What is this serving? Like. You want us to know that there are people of different races here. I mean, like, make it meaningful if you're going to do that. If not, like, we're in a fantasy world. Like, maybe race functions differently here. And, like, maybe skin co- like skin color is not race. Like, race is a construct, is a social construct that was developed pretty recently like our current understanding of it was developed pretty recently why not just describe the color of someone's skin like if you can do that in a fantasy novel like you can imagine race as we understand it right like the physical idea of it people having physical differences like you can enjoy the pleasure of that without braiding it with the like if you're writing a fantasy novel 
I mean, I totally agree. And if you want to use it to be politically correct, I think you should make it more meaningful. I think that's absolutely right. And I think that there's this move, what this move felt like to me in the most generous read that I will give it. If I don't (laughs) mention the color of people's skin, some reader somewhere will assume that everyone is white and I don't want to make an all-white billionaire ripoff of Hades and Persephone. So with that in mind as sort of like, I don't even want to use the term politically correct, but like politically aware or like thinks that diversity in itself is inherently good and important to mention. I think like that is what it did. It was like, but uh, but unfortunately, it's like the diversity is set dressing. That's tokenization. <laughs> we have a term for that. <laughs> and that's a problem. Yeah. Like that's that's a genuine problem. And the only person of color who has lots of speaking lines is Hermes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she does like you go girl stuff. Yeah. And like drinks expensive wine with Dionysus in Hades' kitchen. Yeah. She's got real, like, best friend vibes. And, like, there's this very specific description of race, right? But there's not, like, I don't know how old anybody is except for Zeus. How old is Zeus? He's in his 60s. Hades is 33 and Persephone is 24, turning 25 because she's about to enter her trust fund. Perfect time for them to meet each other. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? No. As a 33-year-old, having something in common with a 25-year-old. Like, having something meaningfully in common enough that you could talk to them for the rest of, like, for, like, six months, let alone. Also, the fact that Demeter was going to, like, sell Persephone to Hades, who's in his 60s, and her daughter's only 24. That fucking sucks, Demeter. But she's going to go to fucking Berkeley? Like, the world that Berkeley exists in allows their, like, main leader to... <laughs> to marry a 25-year-old at the age of 60. Like, yeah, like, you know, I mean, having said that, I just enjoyed reading it mm-hmm. or listening to it. Yeah, reading it. So politically correctness. I follow this Instagram account called Afrosexology, and they made this important point. I had like a <gasps> moment, especially in terms of this show, where it said, you don't have to be politically correct in your when you're having sex. And I think that's, Really important, right? Mm-hmm. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but corollary, corollary. <laughs> I want to know what you think about this. Okay, so this book does do like how to have these conversations, right? It does have this project, but it, it's not like outside of the contract thing. Like, I mm-hmm. didn't find the discussions distracting. But one discussion that stood out to me was the unprotected sex. So Persephone has an Mm -hmm. IUD. Having to say these things out loud really Mm -hmm. (laughs) throws Mm -hmm. into sharp relief some of the slippage. But anyway, so Persephone has an IUD. Accept it. And Hades has been using condoms up to this point. And the book takes pains. Condoms. Uh, Rubber johnnies. Um, (laughs) That's the other thing. Substitute the P word for the C word and substitute condom for like rubbers or something because it sounds just condoms it's all vowel (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's like john oliver saying condoms i'm just like (laughs) anyways but he's always the book takes pains to describe it like right and so they're gonna have this conversation about having unprotected sex i think 
people forget that STIs still exist and are still a problem and that like also undetectable some of the time. You can get really fucking sick, right? Like that can still happen to you. And I appreciate the fact that like when you're, you know, protecting yourself from unwanted pregnancy and you're in a really long-term relationship, a committed monogamous relationship, perhaps you want to have unprotected sex. But I think about the fact that this book is getting regularly pirated. And I think about the fact that when they have this conversation around no longer using condoms, Hades frames it as like, wow, I can't believe she trusts me this much. I can't believe she... And really romanticizes having unprotected sex. Here's my fear. A teenager pirates this book. They hear that conversation. And what they get from it, as teenagers often do, is that it's romantic and it's a sign of trust to have unprotected sex. And teenagers need very little encouragement to be foolish. (laughs) I feel like if the text took the time to be super conscientious and specific about safe sex practices early on, that perhaps the text is already being conscientious and specific about what the readers are going to take away from this book, then maybe consider the fact that a youngster can listen to this book they don't even have to pirate it for free on Spotify and could get some the wrong idea <laughs> from that conversation about not using condoms. I'm seeing more and more in the general zeitgeist this idea of like people talking about women included talking about how sex feels better without condoms, which when we were growing up, that was like a joke. Like men always say that men hate you. <laughs> don't want you to be happy use condoms absolutely men will say this to you and fuck them was a hundred percent the messaging that i got whenever that came up where it's like oh it feels better like that's a man that you don't date that's a red fucking flag exactly that's a red flag and now to like read this and and yes like i people have that conversation you know i've had that conversation sure it's good to model it right like these are the concerns or whatever But it's also like you're romanticizing it. This text specifically is romanticizing it because Hades is like, I can't believe she trusts me. I can't believe she wants it like I want it. And then the sex act afterwards is like the best shared orgasm they've ever had (laughs) up to this point. Yeah, it's like it goes off like a nuclear bomb in her chest. And I want to come back to that because that might also be one of my weirdest parts. But what was interesting to me, and I'm glad that you brought this up because we get her internal... It's the woman reader when she gives the offer. And we have her internal, which is, I got my last clean bill of health after I dated such and such woman. And so like that also felt like a like, oh, Persephone. Oh, and then Hades was like, after I dated such and such man, because they're both bisexual. Yeah. I couldn't remember if I remembered that right. But like, yeah. And so like they both have this like very casual comment that they're bisexual or at least have had sex with same sex partners. And she's like, I'm clean. And I guess we get his internal about him being clean. But I like do either of them ever say it? Because you're right to say that his internality of like a gift, her trust 
without a barrier between us. Purity culture by any other name. What a gift for her to give me. Right? Oh my God. But it's like the sexualized version of purity culture where it's like, you trust me so much. You've made yourself so vulnerable. What a precious bubble of a gift. And I'm like, she wants it. It's like when free love was like, now ladies, you don't have to get hung up about your man having sex with other women. And it's like, this isn't liberating for me. (laughs) And it's like, you don't have to save sex, period, for your most committed partner. Just unprotected sex. And that's what, like, romanticizing that is, I think, risky, especially for young folks. And does this behavior even need to be modeled for adults? Like, what is the value (laughs) of this conversation? Because they're like conversations about consent and everything. Like I think the book is clearly trying to like demonstrate like this is a good way to do this, you know. But like do you need to be conscientious if you're just talking to adults about this stuff? Mm-hmm. I mean like yes for BDSM because that's a subculture. But unprotected sex is not a subculture. Although the fastest growing rates of chlamydia and gonorrhea are in the over 65 subset. Yeah, th- but then they should be told to use condoms. <laughs> They should. Like, this, this isn't, isn't the conversation like, they need to This isn't the conversation yeah. that should be modeled. But, like, it's it's just so weird, like, this shift, and it, it makes me so weary. I was like, what is the point of this? And, like, I feel like it's failing at whatever it's trying to do, or, like, it's not meeting. Like, it made me feel so weird. <laughs> I think it is a really good weirdest spot because I think – because I was skeeved out by the idea that it's a gift. And But you were right to say purity culture by any other name. Like, that's exactly what mm. that is. That's exactly the ideology that it's playing on. She's giving him something really, really special that she doesn't give up for everybody else. And I was like, I don't like that. Like, there's the fact that, like, both of them share that they've had said same-sex partners and nothing gets said, which is fine. Like, that is that is how you normalize something. But then it's like, a Latina older woman. <laughs> it's like, not how you normalize diversity, right? There's also this thing where, like, it has, like, a weird... In the epilogue, Hades says, Persephone has done something to wave her hair. Why wouldn't you just say her hair is wavy? Like, Persephone's hair is wavy. Like, this implies that he's, like, mysteriously, her hair is now wavy. It's like, what do you think happened? Like, did something. Why are you being so mysterious? (laughs) God of the underworld. I know, did something to wave her hair. Did it involve a blood sacrifice? We'll never know. Yeah, it's it was just like, you know, like the slippage. I guess the fact that it stands out so much should indicate to me that like a lot of the other work the book is doing is subtle and, and well executed. Yes. But it still makes the other stuff stand out. I think this book is uneven. Mm. <laughs> Which is my beef. Yeah. I feel really, thank you. I couldn't put my finger on it, but now we've gotten there. This book is uneven. Here's my problem with the world building. It's like, be vague or be totally detailed and completely structured. You cannot you cannot move between, the, between those two wavelengths. It's like once you've established specificity, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to move with it. If you're going to be vague, I'm down. All I need is like a cloud. Like, yeah. let's do this. Like, it could have been enough to be like, the 13 are appointed and there are three monarchies and everything else you already know about Greek mythology, right? Yeah. Or like, or you'll pick it up as we go along. It's a scaffold. Why mention Berkeley? I'm still like, love by that. feel good about that. What was your sexiest part, Morgan? Well, my sexiest part, god damn it. Here we go. No. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so when Persephone runs over to, to <laughs> I don't know why I acted it at. We should just do this on YouTube. <laughs> we should do this on YouTube. Persephone runs over to the Undercity. She's wearing high heels because she was at a fancy schmancy event. And it fucks up her feet. Her feet are fucked up when she arrives. And she has bloody feet. And Hades is very, like, weary over it, right? Because, like, we have to know Hades is a good guy, so she has to be physically injured. So they're going to have sex in public. Like, that's what they've got to do to get back at Zeus, right? Oh, yeah, show him. So he takes her down to his, like, dungeon, which is an exact recreation of the throne room for Zeus, but missing a few details because Hades only went there one time when he was 12. So if he's going to recreate it, he has to, like, remember what what it was like when he was 12. He, like, is he takes her down when it's just the two of them and they fool around a little bit. And then he fingers her. And, like, this is the other thing. Like, it it, like, winks at the idea of orgasm denial as a fetish but like she's never actually denied an orgasm and he says after I take care of your feet so when I first read about I will give you another orgasm right so when I first read about the bloody feet right I was like oh my god is this gonna have like blood play uh not that I'm like skeeved out by blood or gore I guess I'm just one of those miserable people who skeeved out by it whenever it is related to sex so that never happens but the idea of him like taking care of her feet was really nice and very sensual and it's after and it's in direct contrast with this like public political space right and then they go up to his her room and then he replaces her bandages and touches her I thought that was very sexy and and showed that this book was going to have like a lot of depth and breadth to the kind of sex and sexuality that would be explored and indeed it did. And then that reminded me of like another, oh, he doesn't have an orgasm every time they have penetrative sex. Super great. We should normalize that more. I know. We all, especially like heteronormative sex mm-hmm. has this like narrative of like, and then we both came, <laughs> right? And like now it's done now it's done good job everybody and this book doesn't do that with like heteronormative even penetrative sex like orgasm isn't the main goal for either party like there's something more happening there's more to enjoy whenever you kind of stop thinking of like orgasm as the as the central goal of having sex as like a destination you can focus more on the journey man and, like, I loved that in this book. And I, I that's kind of a pervasive, that's not a specific scene, but I loved that in this book. It is. That was really sexy. I loved it when that happened. There's also, like, an eroticism to him, like, trying to find her G-spot at one point. You know, like, it's about the, this, this, the sex scenes in this book are very much about the journey. Hop on board. It's a scenic route. <laughs> They're both really good at listening to each other's bodies as part of the erotic play that eventually becomes relationship building which is I think in in a romance novel that's how the sex scene should operate it's not just like a pause between action points like the sex scene needs to be doing something this book did a really good job of having the sex scene do the thing which is build the relationship and reveal vulnerabilities and joys and that was great yeah okay so tender ministrations I'm gonna problematize here so their sex And they both agree to it, and so I don't have a problem with, like, the idea of it. The fact that Hades has public sex, that he runs this dungeon for people of the upper city, right, is 
for blackmail purposes, right? It's also for the purposes of, like, establishing his brand, right, as, like, this <laughs> evil deity. And so, and also, like, it's important that whenever he has sex with Persephone in public, it's somewhat degrading. And so, but although the text seems to just think that sex in general in public is degrading, I guess he calls her names a little. Like, I don't know what that is, but it's like, like, it, it is very explicitly commodifying sex and not as like a thing for people to enjoy, but as like a political maneuver. So the other aspect of this book, right, tender ministrations, she's like not worried about her feet. And he realizes when he's like tending to her that he discovers that she's a person who doesn't take care of herself. And she says, yes, like if I let myself be uncomfortable, it's for like this ultimate goal of achieving something right and it reminded me of this interview in this documentary that Rashida Jones made about pornography one of the actresses was like yeah a lot of these sex scenes are like physically uncomfortable for me and I don't enjoy them but like a lot of people in their jobs are physically uncomfortable and they don't enjoy it and her conversation about how she and it's specific it's a little I do want to give a trigger warning because I don't think there's a lot of discussion of this when people talk about it she talks about calorie restriction which is what it is as a way of like being a better person right like she's going to forget to eat a meal because she's so busy right she's working so hard and her body doesn't matter that much right that's that's the ultimate thing like her body doesn't matter as much as the work that it's doing her life, her comfort doesn't matter as much as the work that it's doing, which sounds very parallel to like the BDSM fantasy, right? Like your discomfort, your physical discomfort, you know, humiliation or whatever else goes into it matters because it's towards sexual gratification, right? If you're the type of person who like for skips meals, right? Calorie restricting in that way is acceptable because you're doing it because you're so busy doing what? Well, working or whatever, right? So it seems like there's this parallel between like where BDSM is almost like a working through of this like capitalistic project of consuming your body towards the creation of more capital. But BDSM is conscious comes with conversations of consent, comes with limits yeah. that are set and agreed upon and renegotiated at any time between the consenting partners. You can stop. Anytime you like, you can exit. All you have to say is one word. Right. That doesn't sound like no. Right. <laughs> that could get confusing. But there is no getting out of capital and there is no getting out of what this thing is about like how we allow both our labor to be consumed to the degradation of our bodies but also how that is like somehow virtuous like people who work 12 hours for their company they're such good workers and it's like oh exactly and Persephone in this book is a good sweet girl and he feels so sorry for her and he's going to take care of her now and now she can eat meals. Yeah, and so it does it's just trigger warning for anyone who has an issue with calorie deprivation as a particular tipple. Uh, this book does idolize that. I mean, it's problematized in the sense that Hades is like, this is bad for you. Like, she almost faints and he realizes that she hasn't eaten in three days. And he's like, now I'm going to put huge amounts of food. But she 
But he also idolizes her tiny body. <laughs> All the time. And I was glad that Hades pointed out that it was a problem. But the problem is that, like, Persephone didn't internalize that it was a problem. Like, there's no version of this that, like, if she some, like, if she and Hades don't work out, it's a happily for now or whatever, which it's not. That isn't this book. But um, if that were the case, there's no reason for me to believe that she wouldn't, can like, immediately go back into her self-destructive habits. There's no reason for me to not believe she doesn't do it anyways. When Hades isn't being like, eat this chicken salad. All we get is the conversation that he's like, I'm not going to let you do that anymore. It's not like he's like, they don't talk about food in this book outside of their safe word being pomegranate in that one conversation. Yeah, and so like that leads me to believe that that conversation is entirely about like the selflessness of Persephone. I saw something the other day that was like, you should teach your children to be kind instead of selfless. And like you are making a choice to help someone, not that you do not have a sense of self, right? And that you only have this collective. It was so striking to me. Um, in that conversation is that half-baked is that totally half-baked is that doughy in the middle no I think it's good and I think like that again points to the unevenness of this novel where it's like this book recognizes that people but oftentimes women in particular are forced to or by inclination or social conditioning to harm their bodies for a greater good and in Persephone's case it's her sisters or her mother's machinations or whatever and she's just like I just forgot to eat and it's like you forgot to eat for three fucking days yeah well I mean like we're all uneven in our sexual fantasy and our sexual desire because we have this internal conditioning and I think that's why I I don't enjoy books that don't have this like unevenness because it feels disingenuous because it feels like I don't go into lovemaking like I go into a salary negotiation where I'm like here I am representing all the women here are my demands and my expectations you know (laughs) which I think like a lot of romance novels that have been published in the 21st century they kind of do that and I kind of enjoy and I think maybe one of the reasons BDSM is so popular even amongst people who don't practice even amongst like the vaguest gestures towards it like in this book right is because people do want more id in their sexuality right when they're reading about sex it feels superficial if you're not kind of doing uneven stuff right like your sexual politic is uneven because you as a person are resisting and failing at resisting ideology all the time. And sex is a place where you can kind of not think about that. And I think that's really interesting. There's a particular part where this was even more explicit for me than the scene that you're talking about, which is uh, very near the end where they're going to have the public dais voyeurism sex. And she gets cold feet and then, you know, they cuddle and they have this whole conversation and it's great. And then she's like, I want your cock in my mouth. And if we're kind of hidden by the throne a little bit, like, then it's like, then it's like, I can do that. But there are people watching and like, that's part of the kink and the turn on. And then while she is giving him oral sex, he's thinking about how she looks to everyone else. And he's like, they think that I'm degrading her. They think that I'm fucking her and I don't 
like it. I like what she's doing, but I don't like thinking about how all these other people are thinking about what I'm doing. And I think you're right to say that this is like both the resisting the ideology and the failing to resist the ideology. So like he like comes in like a burst all the way down her throat and whatever. It's like, (laughs) it's very physical. And then immediately like flips their position and starts going down on her to be like, you know, not only is she mine, but I'm hers. This isn't a degradation. This is a conyable communication between co-equals. Or we're both degraded. Right. And like we're doing it to each other. So like in the mutual degradation, we are like mutually reclaimed. And even though like public sex is pretty much the only kink that is fully fleshed out in this tech, like they're constantly internally sharing that it's just between the two of them. And so it's like, what is the point of the kink even here? Besides to be like, this book is kinky. And it's not actually, like, I've said it once. I've said it a million times on this fucking show. Like, are you interested in BDSM or are you just interested in a partner who talks to you? (laughs) Uh, This book leaves that an unanswered question. I think they're just, I think this book answers pretty clearly. You just want someone to talk to you. As an equal. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, Isabel. I'm sorry. I spiraled out there. What's your sexiest part? I think that was my sexiest part. The reversal? Yeah, like, I'm not degrading her. She's degrading me. We're degraded. We love each other. Like, fuck you guys. We both got pie in our face. In this case, it's cum. Uh, So that brings us to the final question. Is this a womance or a nomance? I'm going to say it's a womance. I do want to say, like, I don't think this is intentional, but the book is super triggering for people who have calorie deprivation issues. Um, So don't read it if you're recovering and you're not ready, you know, from anorexia or anorexia adjacent or you just like to restrict calories. Stop doing that and don't read this. But otherwise, I would say it's also if you're a teen who isn't sure how you feel about condoms yet it's also a nomance for you <laughs> for everybody else this feels like a lot of caveats it's two specific caveats if you're a teen use condoms don't you want double protection even if you're on birth control like don't you want to make sure you need an insurance policy people think other people are faithful to them all the time they all lots of people think they're in a monogamous relationship and they're not so You don't want to be caught unawares. I've known people who have found out that they were cheated on by getting diagnosed with uh, STI. Also, it's not a gift. It's a decision that you guys make together. Yeah. Um, But it's otherwise, it's a woman. (gasps) For all those caveats, it's a nomance for me. I had fun reading it. You know, I had a good time. But like, honest to goodness, I think there are better books out there and if it's eight dollars on amazon and like you know read it if you want but like for all isabel i know that there are better books out there what's a better book make a recommendation well the anne aguerre right that strange love jude lucen's perpetual favorite well no i'm 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 saying no i'm not saying like over people who want the particular tipple of like a super sexy a brooding hero. I didn't think he was particularly brooding. I think that's also part of it, where it's like uh, the back of the book wasn't... So if you really do want like a broody billionaire who has like a Hades feel, I would recommend... I mean, I would still recommend Strange Love, but he's not really broody. 
Scarlet Peckham's The Duke I Tempted. The Duke I Made Better. The Duke I Made Better, because we all love projects. Uh, Especially if you're into BDSM and conversations with equals. I would recommend that if you're looking for something kinky. What about something contemporary? Uh, yeah, I would recommend, and this is, this is going to be a weird recommendation, and you and I haven't read this. That's okay. And we might get flack for it, and like, I understand <gasps> it. Sylvia Day's Crossfire novels have a lot of problems, <laughs> but they're kinkier, and he's way broodier. Like, that guy kills people with his bare hands. There you so. go. Yeah, this hero, spoiler alert, doesn't kill anybody with his bare hands. Doesn't do that. Comes close and feels really guilty and stops. Um, and that a cinnamon roll mix, <laughs> Isabel. He's not even broody. He didn't even kill anyone with his bare hands. Can I talk about the weirdest part of my friendship with you is knowing that now? That's not the weirdest part of our friendship. <laughs> it is for me in this moment. I'm going to have a hard time getting past that. All right. Well, it's a romance for Morgan. I think it's great if you want a broody, contemporary super sexy book i would recommend uh reading the actual text unless you like unless this voice gets you going uh but otherwise uh yeah i thought it was i i really enjoyed it it was fun it was a ride it was a ride isabel recommends the crossfire series with major caveats well the reason you said this was a no man's (laughs) is because of major caveats it's okay that we disagree. Like, I... I know, but you... I wish you would do it for a reason that... Talk about uneven. Always failing to resist and resisting ideology. Womance <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> ourselves. That's exactly it. All right. Well, um, anyways, thank you again for listening. And do or don't listen to this book. Buy this book. Um, but let us know how you felt about it and uh, with that I just want you to loosen your stays but never your principles whoa golly gee thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance Womance is hosted by Isabel that's me and Morgan that's me production is by Nick Gravelin our web mistress is the incomparable Jane Bonzac and our illustration and logo were created by Mary Reichman they're the best if you'd like to follow creep or connect with us on our social media platforms you can find us at mans underscore woe on twitter womance on instagram or email at womancemail at gmail.com you can also hang out on our amazing website at womancepodcast.com you can support us by using our code to visit our sponsors or go to our patreon where we are womance womance is officially part of the frolic podcast network find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media slash podcast until next week Mwah.